Would you pray with me as we look at a passage in Revelation 3? We'll jump around a little bit, but Father, we give you all the glory. We give you all the glory for Reggie and what you have done in him and how you have promised to work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And it's so clear that Reggie has been called by you. You're his. And even when he was in those valleys, he was yours. He belonged to you. You claimed him. He is yours and you are his and you are united. And God, I'm just struck in knowing Reggie's story of how you are the one that holds us. And I know, God, right now in this park, there are people who need to hear that, who need to hear that in those valleys, you are the one that holds us. You are the one that keeps us. And so even when we may feel like we don't want to paddle anymore or swim anymore, you are the one that upholds us with your right hand. God, what a glorious truth that is. I pray that we would understand that and cherish that. And may it produce fruit in our lives. Amen. So, Reggie is just one of the stories that we have seen and, and that have just taken these huge leaps over the, the last few months. And I've mentioned many times how this whole pandemic um, has actually, I think, been a blessing in the church, not only in our church, but the church at large, that it, it seems to be um, making us, putting us into a situation of discomfort so that we can start evaluating some things. I've had people um, evaluate whether they have had true community when, when some of these uh, the, the standard kind of rhythms that they had were pulled away, asking questions of, do I really have true um, community? We've had people who have asked questions about, do I really know um, the word when, when the, the whole like in-person worship services were taken away and I found myself unmotiv- unmotivated to watch online and it just didn't feel the same and just questioning some of those things. We've seen people who have um, been so reliant on different rhythms of their life of just being really active and busy in their life all of a sudden have those things taken away and have had to ask questions about what am I actually doing with my life? Am I, am I using it for the glory of God? And We've seen families reconnect who realized that they were going in so many different directions that now they're, they're forced under the same roof for an extended period of time. And there's, there's been reconciliation and there's been incredible, beautiful things. So I have seen this as a beautiful thing for the church. And one of those positives during these times that we've seen across the country is, is the pruning of the church, is, the, is kind of the, the taking away of some of our false sense of security and Jesus laying bare the condition of our hearts. And we've needed it. It's been said that the number one religion in America is cultural Christianity. Just a generic Deism, a generic belief in God that's kind of flavored with Christianity, flavored with biblical terms. And they have talked about it, as people have studied that, different people, different organizations have studied this phenomenon. They've discovered that the number one hotbed for this growing religion is within the walls of evangelical churches across America. 
that church members are content to just attend church weekly or even every once in a while to say the right things, to associate with the quote-unquote right people, but without an actual surrender to Jesus Christ. In short, what so many of these studies and so many of these, these people who, who have been faithful um, watchers of the church have said is that the church, the evangelical church, churches like ours, have been a safe haven for lukewarm Christianity. And Jesus warns about this. He warns about it in his life, but he warns about it in Revelation 3. Revelation 3.15 says, I know your works. As he's talking to the church in Laodicea, he's, there are these letters to the church in this part of Revelation where he gives warnings to these churches. And one of them is this church. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see." See, what Jesus is warning this church about, he's saying, you, you look successful on the outside. It looks like things are in good shape. But actually, they are tragically, they've tragically gone wrong. And he's told them what he's asked of them. I've told you to, to buy these. Don't, don't invest in treasures here on earth, but invest in the kingdom. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may actually be rich. He talks about receiving sight from him. He's saying, this is what I've called you to. See, the problem with the church in Laodicea was not that they had just rejected the gospel flat out, not that they had just bought into some false gospel. It was that they had become comfortable in lukewarm waters. They had prospered in worldly ways. It looked good on the outside, but they were actually poor. Listen, the American church, there's no question, looks like it's thriving. We have available to us more resources than any Christian in any other nation in the history of the world. We have more seminaries, more Bible colleges, more Christian schools, more Bible studies, more Bible preaching churches. We look rich. But just a few years before his death, Billy Graham said this, he said, the aim of many churches today seems to be to get names on a list. And the deeper meaning of Christ's call for discipleship is neglected. Therefore, the world has moved into the church. There is apparent success. But in reality, there is tragic failure. That's Billy Graham toward the end of his life. See, by any measure, the mark of a mature Christian is reproducing discipleship. We talk about this all the time. Disciples making disciples. That's the mark of mature Christianity. And a recent study of discipleship movements across the world found a multitude of verifiable disciple-making movements across the globe. And zero in North America. Not one. 
for all our megachurches, our seminaries, our famous preachers, we have not one movement that is classified as a disciple-making movement. We look rich, but we are poor. Elton Trueblood, who is a 20th century theologian from Iowa, so you know he was amazing, once said, Our main mission field today, so far as America is concerned, is within the church membership itself. I could go on more with that. We could, we could talk to you about Matthew 25 and how Jesus gives these three parables and they are aimed at those who are so focused that they, they believe themselves to be with him. They believe themselves to be God's people and yet they demonstrate that their hearts are actually owned by the world. I would encourage you to, to read those in Matthew 25 to go through and read those. You have the parable of the maidens and the wicked servant and the goats. But this is what J.D. Greer says about J.D. Greer, who's president of Southern Baptist and, and uh, pastor. He, he says, here's the sobering thing about these parables. There is no middle ground. You're either committed to the mission, all in for Jesus and using your resources for his people and his kingdom, or you are not. You're either a sheep or a goat. And that puts the lukewarm Christian in a very precarious position. This is why this is an important warning. And this is why I'm sharing this this morning, because this is what was on my heart as I just thought about it. I always think about it this time. Like, what do I want to preach? What message do I want to preach that just random people walking by would hear that our church needs to hear? And this is what God laid on my heart, that this is an important warning, because we can often be fooled into thinking that the lukewarm state is closer to hot than cold. Right? That, that seems logical, that we would say that, okay, if you have hot lukewarm and cold. Well, lukewarm is closer to hot than cold is. But according to Jesus, it isn't. According to Jesus, it is better to be cold, to be completely against the gospel than to be lukewarm. Someone growing comfortable at church, comfortable with the social aspect, comfortable with the structures, comfortable with the programs, without actual life transformation, is in a far worse place than the person who is adamantly opposed to the gospel. And you may look at that and say, well, surely not. I mean, surely that's hyperbole, and you always talk about revelation, you have to understand how to interpret it. Well, it's not the only place he says these things. It's not the only place in Scripture we see these things. In 2 Peter 2, Peter says, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And hear this, he says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Lukewarm is not almost hot. It is the furthest thing from hot. I was trying to think of an example of something just like in our, in our culture that would make sense with that. And this is the weird example. This may not make sense. I don't know. But this is the weird example that popped into my head. So I, I have a daughter. She is a long ways from getting phone calls from boys. But that day is going to come. 
Okay? And so if, like, the biggest fear that I have, the thing that stresses me out, is her coming home someday, whether it's from high school or from college, and telling me she met a boy. And that's going to raise all kinds of emotions in me. But, but there are two kinds of boys that I am okay at some level with kind of being around her and being interested in her. Number one would be if a boy said, if I said to a boy like, okay, dude, what's your, what's your deal? What do you think of my daughter? If, if he said to me, sir, it's a great way to start, sir, I don't really know yet. I find her intriguing and I'd like to get to know her better. That's a good response. I'll take that. The second would be if someday that boy comes to me and says, Sir, I love your daughter with all my heart, and I will lay down my life for her and will lead her in the ways of the Lord, and I will serve her all of my days. It's another great response. How do you think I would feel to the guy who, after 10 years of hanging out with my daughter, says to me, Meh, I don't know. I kind of like her. She's really not sure where I want this to go. Nope. That dude's gone. One of us is gone after that day. And it's not going to be me. That's the thing, right? Lukewarm is not almost hot. It's lukewarm. It's, it's awful. It's not where we are called to be. And Jesus warns that. Peter warns it. Paul warns it in 1 Corinthians 5 when he says, you are to deliver this man, a man who was so entangled in his sin that it was still claiming Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There are so many bigger things at play. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that lukewarm is worse than cold, then nothing will change. Because despite all of those warnings and instruction, a generation later, the church at Laodicea was in this boat, lukewarm. And Jesus warns them. The problem had been that they had become immune to the gospel. I mean, this is my prayer all the time. My prayer is that the people who would be a part of our church are hot and cold. I hope that today there are people here right now that are hearing this that don't consider themselves a Jesus follower. I hope that. I know that's the case. And I, I believe that's the case. Every week we have that. And I'm thrilled that you are here. I'm thrilled that you're asking questions and that you're wondering. And I know that you're not, you're like, I don't know what I believe about this. I'm not in. Yeah. And it is nothing, there's nothing greater than the joy of being able to introduce you to Jesus and to, to let him Deliver to you life. That's what I want. That's what I desire. I love that. And I also love when we have people who are here who are on fire and saying, man, I just want to be built up and I want to go and I want to share the gospel with people. I want to love people radically. But church, we have to be careful that we don't become a haven for lukewarm Christianity. The reason that you get there is that we become immune to the gospel. And this is what's grown rampant in the American church. And that's what I've been praying would change. If we ask, how have we become so immune? The, the reason why Jesus is making this appeal and this warning is that the, the, the people who are lukewarm, they become immune to the pleas of the gospel. Their heart becomes hardened. They no longer respond in the way that a hot or cold person responds. They become, as many people have described it, inoculated to the gospel. 
And so if you're here today, my prayer is that if you are cold, you'd say, I, I would fall in the cold category. I don't, I'm not a follower of Jesus. My hope is that you would hear this as good news. That you would hear the incredibly good news of the gospel. That you would know the God who loves you and gave himself up for you. The God that rescued Reggie and transformed his life. And my hope is that if you are here today and that you are, are lukewarm, that you'd feel convicted of that and that you would realize that, this is, that that conviction is a good sign. That if you feel that conviction, that you would follow Jesus into repentance in that. And that you would receive forgiveness and that God would light a flame in you. And that if you're here today and that you're hot and you're saying, I'm fully devoted, that you would find a renewed commitment to ensuring that our church is a breeding ground for hot Christianity, for all-in Christianity, full of life. But to do that, we have to make sure that we are not a place of inoculating people with the gospel, of, of vaccines against the gospel. Obviously, vaccines have been in the news a lot. That illustration popped in my head. So immediately, I kind of went for that. And, and here's the thing about vaccines. So I, what I want to do is just kind of look at these, just a couple of them cr- quickly, and then say, like, okay, how do we respond to that? If I discover that I've actually been inoculated by, by a vi- vaccine like this, what do I do? And what do we do as a church? And so vaccines, if you don't know, vaccines basically work like they're, they're made from some form of version of the germ that causes the disease, Right? It's meant, it's, it's meant to train our body or really trick our body into thinking that we're infected with this disease so it learns how to fight it when it's weakened and therefore can fight, the, it, can, it can produce those antibodies and, and fight the real thing. And I, I know all of this because I read it this week. So pretty much an expert at it. You can come up to me afterwards and ask me any question as long as it was answered in the two articles I read. Okay. But the gist is just that you use a little bit of this germ, just a little bit, to trick your body into thinking you're infected so it can fight against it, it can learn how to fight against it. And that, that parallel has been used for the gospel many times. That You hear just enough of the gospel. You just are exposed to just enough that you learn, your flesh learns how to fight against it and you're not transformed. You just build up a hardness so that when you start to hear it again, you're like, oh, no, no, I know what that is, and it gets dismissed. But it goes deeper than that. It turns out there are several different types of vaccines. And and looking at how they work gave me some insight into how our churches can battle against this. One type of vaccine is called a subunit. Didn't know you were going to get a biology lesson, but it's kind of cool. A subunit vaccine is one that uses specific pieces of the germ. Not, not the whole germ itself that causes the disease, but like a protein or a sugar, some part of it. This is the vaccine that we have for things like hepatitis B and whooping cough, which is just fun to say. Hooping, hooping whooping cough. All right? And so you just get one piece of it. It doesn't actually, it's not the whole thing. And so you usually have to have multiple injections of this, like booster shots, whatever. And so we see this happen in the church where you just get a a piece of the gospel, a piece of what Jesus offers. Not the whole thing, but just, just a piece of it. We see this happen in things like where the social gospel reigns. Or some other thing that's the portion of the gospel, where we, where we take the gospel, the Great Commission, and, and we look at that and we say, okay, well, yeah, I know we're supposed to share the gospel with people, but what's really important is that we make sure people are fed. It takes a true piece of it, that yes, if we believe the gospel, we will make sure people are fed. 
There's no question about that. But they aren't the same thing. And so you hear things, you take things like, okay, well, no, I kind of consider myself a Christian because I'm basically a good person and we're supposed to be good people if you're a Christian. Well, that's a piece of this. And it's separated from the actual gospel. Or God is love, and so then I just accept everything. But that's not really the gospel. That's what I grew up with. And people became inoculated because they were just getting a portion of it. When they would hear about God's love, they wouldn't hear about his love demonstrated through Christ on the cross. They would just hear about it in whatever way they wanted to define it. Some part of the gospel that you grab onto and you think it's the whole thing. It, it happens a lot in youth ministry. So we have so many teenagers that leave the church when they go to college. They buy into the community. They have good friends, good memories. They kind of get swept up in that, in that culture. But as they grow older, they leave the faith. And I've talked to so many of them who will say things like, I I tried the church thing, it didn't work for me. But their heart had built up an immunity against the true gospel because they'd been inoculated with just a little piece. It happens when people find other people that kind of agree with a portion. It it happens a lot in the evangelical church with with politics. I know people think that I get really hard on, like, I, it seems like every political illustration I give um, seems to be anti-Republican. There's a simple reason for that. That's because that's our danger here. In Denver, I didn't use that illustration because it wasn't the same thing. But here, I see it more and more, this kind of meshing of those two worldviews. That's this type of vaccine that I believe this part of the gospel and this part, and that fits in here, but then I'm really receiving something that is not the gospel. So maybe you found yourself in that situation. A response to that is that that's you. If you feel any conviction at all, then the response is to to go all in in the gospel. I would encourage you to read the whole counsel of God. Don't just appreciate part of Jesus or look for faith to affect a part of your life or to inform your life, but surrender fully to Christ. Or to at least lay yourself bare before the scripture and for the gospels and just say, God, I'm here, I am. Just take me, do whatever you want with me. Like what Reggie did. If you're real God, then change my life. There's another type. It's called the inactivated vaccine. That's where you use a killed version, a dead version of the germ that causes the disease. This is what we have for like flu shots, polio, rabies. It's the dead version of the germ. And I was, as I was reading that and reading about that type of vaccine, I just started, my mind started being flooded with the stories of people that we've heard from, from people who grew up in a church where there was no life. They would hear the message, but there's no life to it. No, no evidence of people's lives being transformed. People would talk about life, but the preacher and all the people were grumpy and lifeless. So it all just becomes words. They speak of joy, but complain about everything in life. They talk about Jesus being the most important thing, but their Facebook feed tells them something different. And maybe there was a faith that was alive at one point, but now it's just an image of its former self. And people who grew up in this and watching this, they, they hear this kind of gospel, but it is, it is dead. There's a defensiveness towards the hurting not soft-hearted introspection. There's overconfidence in, in fringe issues rather than humility. And so you get raised and you're in an environment where if you say the right things and do the right things, then you're good. 
And so people get raised with this false, this dead form of Christianity, this dead form of the gospel that, that says, as long as I say I believe these things and live my life by these rules, then I'm a good person and, and basically everything's fine. But so many people who have grown up in those churches have become inoculated to the gospel because they've seen the hypocrisy of the churches and they turn away. And maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you were presented with a dead gospel, one of just the do's and the don'ts and no life. Your experience with church has been with judgmental, grumpy people. I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry when I've been that judgmental, grumpy person. But listen to me. That's not the experience of the gospel. That is not the fruit of the gospel. The fruit of the gospel is when people see that they are dead in their sins. They are created by a God who is holy and righteous, and they see that they have rebelled against him. Again, I, I go back to Reggie's testimony. How did you hear him say when he said, I, there's God's way and there's Reggie's way? And that is a picture of sin, just that I want my thing my way, not yours, God. And so we rebel against him, but God, instead of subjecting us to just judgment, he instead sends his son to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins so that we be forgiven, redeemed, and adopted as sons and daughters and heirs of his kingdom for all eternity and ever-increasing joy. What do you think receiving that does to a person's nature? It transforms them. As Paul says in Galatians 5, it produces in them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what people look like who belong to Christ. So if you grew up in an area where you say, well, Christianity is it's just this dead, lifeless religion because I've known Christians and they were not patient, they were not kind, they were not joyful. They, I would say, have not been transformed by the gospel. Find people who have. Find people who are exhibiting this. They're not going to exhibit this all the time, but find people who are growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Find them. Ask them to study the Bible with them. Ask them to teach you how to pray. Ask them to introduce you to the Jesus who transformed them. And finally is really the most dangerous one and the one that's probably most applicable to us because we can all sit here if you're part of this church and say, okay, yeah, well, we're not that church. We don't just preach part of the gospel. We, we preach the whole word. We've always done that. And yeah, we don't, uh, we're, we have lots of people like, look, Reggie's a perfect example. We have tons more stories of, like that of people who've been transformed by the gospel. But we have the live vaccine. And this is the one where most of us think of it first. That's where you take a live version of the germ. It's a weakened version, but it's live. And we use this on things like measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox, smallpox. Those are all examples of live vaccines. And it's actually the scariest one of all in the church. It's that people hear a small dose that's alive, but they only get a little bit. They just come to church, but keep a safe distance. Hear stories like Reggie's. Amen, smile, nod, think that's great, and then go on about your life. Hear a story from a missionary about radical transformation and rejoice in that, but do nothing radical yourself. 
And essentially, that becomes normal Christianity, just riding the coattails of the few who are experiencing this life transformation. Entertained by a sermon, encouraged by a song, but no transformation. It becomes normal. You want to be in a church with a lot of activity, but not really a part of it. You live vicariously through those testimonies. This is what Francis Chan says about that. He says, Lukewarm Christians are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not do radical things themselves. And this is what concerns me most in ministry. This is what keeps me up at night in ministry. That we could do everything right. I could teach the Bible perfectly, which I don't. I could, we could set up the best systems of ministry that there are, which we haven't. We could do all of the right best events in the right best ways. We could share the stories of all the real life transformation that is happening, and we could still be inoculating people to the gospel. And the really scary thing about it is that this type of vaccine is the most effective by far. The other types need booster shots, but these, one or two, and you're affected for a lifetime. This is what Peter's talking about. This is what Jesus is warning against. That it's actually the live churches, the churches where there's actual live transformation happening, where the, this lukewarm Christianity is growing the most rampantly. The inoculation in these churches are far more aggressive. And you might be saying, wait, are you, are you seriously telling me that a person is better off to go to a church that doesn't teach the Bible than to go to a church where at least they're hearing the Bible preached every week, but they're just kind of lukewarm? Are you seriously telling me? Yes. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why it's so foreign to us. It just doesn't compete with us. We think like, well, surely it's better that they're just here week after week after week after week. The Bible says no. See, Jesus was talking to a church that seemed successful. Peter, the people Peter is talking about are people that heard the gospel, the true gospel, and in his words, believed. See, a person in a church that only preaches part of the gospel could hear the good news and it be new to them. That's what happened to me. I heard a portion. I was in the, I was in the camp, the subunit vaccine. I was being inoculated to the gospel, but it was just a portion of the gospel. I went to a camp and I heard the actual gospel, the true gospel, and it was news to me. I'd never heard anything like it. And I said, yes, I want that. So that person can, can hear that. A person in, in a dead church can have their eyes opened by seeing someone whose life is actually transformed. We have story after story right here in this field of people who would say that. People who would say, I grew up in a church and it meant nothing to me. I didn't ever saw any real life transformation. Then I met so-and-so. And their life was just totally different. And I said, I, I want to know that. Like whatever I was experiencing wasn't that. And they turned to it. But a person who grows up in a Bible teaching church and knows all the words and isn't surprised by anything that I have to say, and smiles and nods along, thinking they're good because they look at the church they're part of and say, hey, my church teaches the Bible, we preach the gospel, we support missions, I'm good. That person is in trouble. And that is what keeps me up at night. 
That's why I annoy you so much. And it grieves me to my core. And if we aren't careful in all of our attempts at faithfulness, we could become unwittingly a haven for lukewarm Christianity. Because the life is attractive. How can you not listen to Reggie's testimony and say, I kind of want to go back to that church. I want to be there. How can you not listen to Joe sing and think like, man, that's, that's not a bad way to spend a few minutes. That's, that's pretty good. Like even when you get tired of me preaching, at least then I take a break and Robbie jumps up and you're like, oh, okay, good. Like we all, we have all that. We have incredible children's ministry that Donna does a fantastic, a fantastic job doing. Christoph works so hard with the youth. We've got all these things going. Why, why would you not want to be a part of that? Here's the danger. This is why it's so serious. Because there's one other way. If you think about this pandemic, what have they talked about? One of our hopes to get through this and move on is vaccine. What's the other one? What's herd immunity? This is what's happened in Laodicea. Vaccination, vaccination, and pretty soon, when 70 to 80% of the people are inoculated to the gospel, everyone's immune just by being a part of it. Because they learn how to be a Christian by watching lukewarm Christians. And it becomes normal. And real Christianity becomes radical. And for those people. How do we fight this? One way I guess we could do it is just by becoming a cold church. I just stop preaching the Bible. Come out against the gospel. But I'm not going to do that. You wouldn't want me to do that. But if we want to be a church that does not inoculate people to the gospel, that does not become a safe haven for lukewarm Christianity, which is no Christianity, then we must be diligent in preventing it. And if you don't believe that lukewarm is worse than cold, then these steps won't be worth it. Every single one of you knows people that you love, that you desperately want to know the gospel. Don't give them a lukewarm gospel. Don't do The temptation is there to do that because you don't want them to be cold. Let them be cold. Some of my best friends are cold towards the gospel. And I love them. And I, and I share with them the radical gospel because that's what it is. And my prayer for them is that they would be hot one day. I don't want them to be lukewarm. And so one of those things we have to do is we have to redefine normal church. We have to measure fruit. We can't be looking at attendance of events. We need stories of life change and keep holding that up as that's normal. What happened with Reggie is normal. That's what the Bible says will happen. Again, he could have preached that for me when he said that he read things in the Bible. He's saying, this isn't true in my life. This is supposed to be true in my life. This is what's supposed to be normal. Read the Bible and don't settle for less than that. I'll give you one example. A few years ago, Archer decided to stop the men's game dinner. And one of the reasons, and there were a few, but a big one was this. People would be so excited because they would say, we shared the gospel with 300 men. And Archer asked the question, well, how many responded? And I remember the year that he finally came to this conclusion. I think it was like three people responded, filled out a card that said they responded to Christ. 
and this is what Archer said to me. He said, none of them were willing to follow up and be discipled. So our best fruit of that was somebody heard the gospel and said, okay, yeah, I'll believe that, punch my ticket to heaven, but I don't want to have anything to do with community. I don't want to be discipled. I don't want to make disciples. And he decided it's time to end that. And it took a lot of courage for Archer to pull the plug on that ministry, but it was the right call because it was becoming a heat lamp for lukewarmness. And I admired him greatly for making that call. We have to be able to measure fruit. We have to be able to, when we're having a Bible study, don't just, don't just settle for answering the questions. Ask people about their lives. Get into their lives. Hold people accountable. Don't, don't go for crowds. Jesus had lots of crowds, but he never considered them a good thing. He chased them away. We need to be a church that sees it normal to repent, normal to be with humility come to the Lord. To not be prideful, to be quick to listen, to be marked by humility, to be marked by obedience to his word, to not just settle for being able to recite the right things or quote scripture, but to actually obey to value obedience over knowledge, to love people fiercely and selflessly, people especially who disagree with us. We have these opportunities every day. The big thing that I keep trying to hammer is that we got to stop being an island. Stop thinking that, that we are good on our own, but to be invested in real community people who know you, who love you, who love Jesus, who are willing to hold you accountable. And we will keep pushing into that, whatever it looks like. If you need help, yes, we have gospel communities, but there are other ways. Reggie's men's small group has been an incredible community to him and has helped him in that. It's beautiful. I love it. But we cannot do this on our own. So maybe today is the day that that changes for you. I'm going, to have the, I'm going to actually ask the band to come up right now. We're going to do something a little different at the end of this. But after this closing song, we're going to walk down to the river. And if you want to be baptized, we will baptize you. So maybe today you're saying, look, I've been cold. I've not been a follower of Jesus. But I've heard this. I've heard the gospel that God loved me. He gave himself up for me. He forgives me for my sin. I want to be a new creation. I want the life that Jesus offers. So I'm all in. I don't know what that means. I don't have all my questions answered. But I want that. Then you can come. Jeff is going to be standing right. He's right over here. Jeff's waving his hand. Come over and talk to Jeff during the song or right after as we're heading down there. And we can baptize you today. Or maybe you bought into a portion of the gospel and you're like, you know what, I've only been comfortable with this portion of the gospel I've been comfortable with, but I've never really been all in. I've, I've not allowed access to God to these other areas of my life, but I want to stop doing that. I don't want to be lukewarm in just a portion of the gospel. I want it all. Or maybe you've been turned away by a dead gospel and maybe today's the first time you've heard that, but you grew up in a church, in a church culture that there, there's no life. I want you to find life. Or maybe you've grown up here or in a Bible teaching church and you realize you've been riding the coattails of other Christians. Maybe a spouse 
or a parent, a friend, or a pastor, and you figured as long as I've been hanging out with them, I'm good. But today, you know differently. Respond. Maybe today is the day that the vaccine wears off, and instead of giving yourself another booster, you just repent and fall flat on your face at the cross and receive forgiveness and life and everlasting joy. Let's pray. God, even as we sing this last song of blessing over one another, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts, that you would bring life today, that you would speak through all of the distractions and that you, if just be you, Holy Spirit, in the individual heart that is here, and that then you would bring life and that they would look around and see their family, see people who love them and are for them. God, I pray for your blessing over this church family. Let us be hot. Let us be on fire for you. Let us be a culture that cultivates that. Pray this in Jesus' name.